0: Dot.com and the star ledger welcome to the rutgers rant your one-stop podcast for the scarlet knights with your host steve politti and rutgers insiders brian fonseca and pat lenny let's start shopping all right hello everybody welcome back to the rutgers rant politti here lanny fonseca we've got a lot of talk about a lot of stuff going on in the rutgers world we're going to talk about uh big portal pickup we're going to talk about Caitlin Clark coming to Jersey, filling the filling the rack for a lot of fun. Pat and I were there for that one. We're going to talk about a huge wrestling upset, I think. At least that's what I read on NGA.com. Pat will talk about that. But we should probably talk about the basketball team, unfortunately. Uh, not a great trip to America's heartland. Lost to Ohio State. Lost to Iowa. Fellas, I, I watched a lot of the Iowa game, and I, I, I'm just – I'm just kind of stuck with this idea that this is a team that does nothing well. And I guess, I guess that's kind of what bothers me about watching them. And I took some heat for tweeting that it's, you know, Steve Peichel is doing a bad job coaching this team, but that's just kind of where I'm at. Like, I, I just don't, you know, they start off every game in a hole. They don't rebound well or defend the perimeter. Well, Uh, they haven't figured out how to get their all-star big 10 center involved in the offense. They, they don't share the ball. Well, and they haven't shot the ball well since like 1976. So other than those five things, it's a problem. This team is just not, it doesn't look like a good basketball team, Brian. I don't know.
1: Like I don't want to pile on, but it's just, it, it just hasn't shown you much. It hasn't. And I think it's just the reality of what I've been saying for most of the season, that this is just a flawed basketball team that was poorly constructed under some admittedly tough circumstances last off season. And this is kind of who they are. They've, struggled offensively for a lot of Steve Peichel's tenure, and this might be the worst offensive team they've had since his first year, which is saying a lot. I mean, just I'll pull out the numbers now. I wrote about this on Sunday. If you take away preseason bias, and just since the first day of the season, they are 280th nationally in adjusted offensive efficiency, 280th nationally. They are 323rd in three-point shooting percentage, 29%. They are 321st in two-point shooting percentage. They are 310th in free throw shooting percentage. Those are unguarded. The 310th nationally. They are just not good offensively. They don't rebound the ball well offensively to get themselves second chances either. They do play fast. They have the fastest possession length in the Big Ten. That's something. They're living up to that preseason notion, but they're really not doing much with it. And then they don't defend the ball well enough as vintage Steve Peichel teams have. That's always been the strength. They defend well enough to make up for offensive shortcomings. They don't do that that well. To answer your question at the start of the pod, they do two things pretty well. They defend the rim and from two-point land, their two-point defense is ranked ninth nationally. Pretty decent. And they turn the ball over a decent amount as far as, sorry, they force a decent amount of turnovers. They have a top 20 turnover rate. Uh, The issue is they don't convert a lot of those turnovers or enough of them into points. Aside from those two things, I agree with you. There's really nothing that this team does well. the, The reality is this. They're just not a good basketball team. As I've been saying for two months, Fans are going to just have to grit their teeth, get through it, which I know is hard because I've seen the reaction to the two losses. But unless Jeremiah Williams is magically eligible, which I do not foresee happening, unless something magical happens, some player takes a huge leap, which again, I don't foresee happening, this is just kind of... What's going to happen and Rutgers is going to have to work to not become a bottom four seed and, you know, get a buy in the big 10 tournament. That's really, to me, what we're looking at right now, that's the main objective of the season right now.
0: Pat, the the other part of this, and, and Brian mentioned it, but Steve Michaels had some low talent teams that have, that have had an identity that have defended well and have rebounded well and have played with a level of toughness and leadership. And, you know, gonna, you're going to have to go into the rack and put a spike through their hearts that's missing here, right? I mean, I, I, and again, it's three games into the big 10 season. I get it. It's early, but where's that?
2: No, I totally agree. And I think where what that stems from is a lack of general leadership, right? This should be Cliff Amore's team and he should be a guy that's, that has that heart and grit and leadership. And I think there's just been a void since they lost Caleb McConnell and Paul Mulcahy and Geo Baker, Ron Harper, Jr. Like those guys were so valuable to this team that they were able to get everyone on the same page. And I think that's severely lacking on this team. Uh, there's, there seems to be no general leadership or no, no one stepping up in the big moments either. So I think that plays a big part of it. Like who's preaching that identity besides Paykel and who's holding people accountable in the locker room. Right. Yeah. I think that's a big part of it. Who's
0: throwing a chair against the wall. Who's, you yeah. know,
2: slapping his fist against the floor, and
0: and I know we've talked about this so many times, folks. And I, it, it, but it, it, this really the season unraveled in the spring, and that's what happened. You know, you lost the guy Paul McKay, who was that person. Cam Spencer, another. You know, he's he's doing a UConn. It's just a, it's a really good player. Uh They didn't replace them. That's going to be the lesson from this team, I think. And it's going to be you've got to protect the players on your roster before you think of anything else. And I, and I, I, I get this question like, well, oh, nil has been, it's been okay. Right. They, they have, well, yeah, I think this, that team stands as the one thing that you look what happened to that, to that Rutgers team, to this, what happened in the spring, losing those two guys is the ultimate example of not being ready for NIL and getting, and getting caught without the resources to protect uh, your starting backcourt. And that's when this thing unraveled. And I think we've kind of, we kind of let ourselves believe it was going to be better. They bring in guys, they play faster, they play a different style. Well, look what, and, and Brian, this, I come back to this too, but look what's happened to Cliff since Paul left. Like, no one's getting him shots near the basket. And I get it. Like, he's some of that's his own doing. He hasn't developed an offensive game, but those alley oops, those dunks, those play, like, (laughs) they're all gone too.
1: Yes. And part of that is the missing of Paul McKay's playmaking, which was probably underrated while he was here, and some playmaking from some of his teammates, from the Geo Bakers, the Ron Harpers. Some of that is the fact that he has no space to work with. I feel like I keep repeating myself with this, but they don't have any shooters to spread the floor out. There's no offensive player that, threatens the opposing defenses. Like no one is going to go out on the perimeter when Gavin Griffiths is shooting 26% on threes. not to single him out. Cause again, Andre Hyatt is the only guy shooting better than 31% on threes. So when that's the case, why are you going to go out on shooters? Noah Fernandes a guy who came in with 39% shooting career wise at UMass almost seems afraid to shoot threes. Steve Peichel talked about having a long talk with him about needing him to be aggressive because after the Stonehill game where he scored zero points, there were points in that game where it looked like he was afraid to throw up a shot. I saw it with my own eyes at the rack and he bounced back, had a 17 point game at Ohio Ohio State and then he had another zero point game against Iowa. So he's not holding up that end of the bargain. And again, what that results in is that teams could pack the paint and Cliff Omori, a guy who already struggles finishing around the rim when there's no one defending him, when he has two guys on him, it's almost impossible, right? So right. while I do think that there is some blame here that Cliff hasn't gotten better, I keep hearing the word regressed, I don't think he's regressed. I just think this is who he is, who he's been, and he just doesn't have the help around him that he used to have. To the right. point earlier that Pat brought up about leadership, Cam Spencer was a guy with a maniacal competitive streak. This guy would scream expletives and punch the wall when he missed one three-pointer in practice with nobody watching, right? Like, that—that—that that, that is contagious. And you have guys like Paul and Caleb, who are around, and Ron and Geo, guys who are on the program for years and built that culture. Rutgers veterans this year, aside from Andre Hyatt and Cliff Omori, are guys like Noah Fernandez, who's a sixth year guy who just got here, Austin Williams, a seventh year guy who just got here, right? So there's not a core of guys here that continue the tradition, and you know, aside from the two freshmen, there aren't a lot of young guys to pass that on to. So I think it's just a you know a conflation of a lot of things. The major thing to me. That is the major, major, big issue. There's not enough talent. There's just not enough talent on this team, and that's obvious to anyone that's watched this team play any game, aside from maybe the Seton Hall game where the gods smiled upon them and let them hit 50 percent on threes. Because as we can see in the past month, Seton Hall is good, man. Shane Holloway is doing an awesome job with that team.
0: Don't, don't go here. You're just going to doubly. You're going to go. You're going to go doubly get, get the fans angry at you when you when you point out that Seton is well coached.
1: Yes, and I won't even bring up that Rutgers is one and six in quadrant one games. And by the way, that one win is Seton Hall because of how well they've been playing, because they were 0 and 6 before Saturday. I won't even bring that up. But Shaheen Holloway has two top 10 wins at home. He has a road win over a top 25 Providence team. And he's about to enter the AP top 25 after we said they were dead after losing to Rutgers. That is an incredible coaching job from him. He's getting so much out of Kadari Richmond, out of Alamir Dawes, a guy who people, again, were leaving for dead because he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn on threes. Now he's, you know, destroying a great defensive team in Marquette. So a great coaching job for Shah- Shaheen Holloway. That's aside the point. My point is that this Rutgers team does not have enough talent to realistically think they're going to go anywhere else this season.
0: I, I'm going to make the counterpoint that I do think there's talent on this team. And I guess that's what I keep on coming back to you When you've got and all big 10 center you've got you're supposed to have a four-star recruit come in i get it he's struggling gavin griffith is, is struggling i mean derek simpson led them at the end of last season i think there's more pieces there pat than maybe we are giving them credit it just i just don't think it's fair to say eh,
2: there's just not enough players right i just don't i just don't agree with that I, I, I think, on some i think what you're what to to take both sides of this I I think there hasn't been any cohesiveness with that talent right like one guy has a a, like Derek Simpson played great at Ohio at Ohio State Um, and he had a decent game against Iowa but there's been no continuity with Cliff I just think all the all the talent hasn't come together yet and maybe that's the one silver lining of this team maybe if if in the best case scenario shooting picks up the defense picks up they find something There's a lot of season left, so I guess you can always fall back on maybe there's a a possibility that that talent comes together at the right time.
1: What I want to say about those two guys, Derek Simpson and Gavin Griffiths, I think they are victims of unfair expectations in the preseason. A lot of people thought Derek Simpson was going to take a jump as a sophomore that a lot of players do. And a lot of people hung on to the Indiana game, that Michigan game in the Big Ten tournament where he had that big, you know, big, big performance at a big spot. But you really have to look at what Derek Simpson was last year, right? He shot 21% on threes. He shot 43% on twos. He was highly consistent as he is this year. And he's just, he was a three-star recruit in high school. And this is just about reasonable expectations for him, right? Like people thought he was going to come in, have a big sophomore year, take that Geo Baker jump. And maybe that was just too much to put on him, right? Maybe he's just not capable of doing that. And Gavin Griffith's similar point. Yes, he's a four-star kid. Yes, he was the highest-ranked kid they signed, but again, he doesn't have a lot of help around him. There's no no other players creating open shots for him very often and again, when he doesn't when he does have the open shots, he's not hitting them. I think there's a lot of pressure on him to be this freshman four-star savior of this team, which I'm sure piles up and snowballs and mounts on. And that's a lot of pressure to put on an 18-year-old kid, right? Like and I know the obvious thought from this is like how will this impact the five-star kids coming in next year? I think those kids are a different breed and a higher talent. It Being the number two and three players in a class are a lot different than being the 25th or 30th, wherever Gavin Griffiths was, right? I just think it's easy for a lot of fans to start to waver on Gavin Griffiths. I don't know if we're there yet. I do think that the fact he hasn't had a big performance aside from Boston is a little worrying, but I do think that he is fighting against a lot of unfair expectations. And I'm not, I'm not throwing in the towel yet on Gavin Griffiths. But again, I, I I see your point. He's talented. He's not ready to be the savior of this team.
0: All right. The, the one thing we think both can agree, all can agree on, is that, it, it, that this Indiana game on Tuesday night is a must win. We get a home game, gets a quad three. Talk about, I mean, talk about a program that's uh, in some trouble and an Indiana team that they have. Beaten when Indiana was at its best. This is a this is a team. Everyone talks about Iowa's a bad matchup. Well, Indiana is the exact opposite for this team. So you get Indiana home, then you're at Michigan State, which is struggling as well. You get Nebraska at home. If this thing's going to turn around, it's going to turn around in the next eight days. Do you agree with that?
2: Yeah, I think the, historically the Indiana matchup, like you said, is, is a great one. And every exactly what you're saying is the teams go through highs and lows. And you just got to ride the momentum a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I think you're 100% right that if there is going to be a turnaround, it needs to start now, and it needs to start with Indiana as the first step.
1: If they do lose this game, it's their first quad three loss. Like, they have no bad losses yet, as much as the Stonehill win felt like a loss. They have no bad losses. This will be their first bad loss. Adding that to a resume with no good wins, aside from Seton Hall, that spells disaster, and that really –
0: is, we're talking about different things now. We're no longer talking about NCAA tournament resume. We're just talking about don't finish last. I think that's where I'm at. Like I'm not looking at like let's get this team to Dayton. <laughs> let's you know get this team to even the NIT. It's like let's let's just get a competent basketball team where you're not, you know, cringing every time you put on the television to watch them. I think that's the
1: next step. I, I don't know, I man. Let's let's recalibrate expectations. I don't think they are punting on the NCAA tournament because I do think they still believe and they have to kind of keep that belief alive to really have any motivation going for the rest of the season. I don't think they're going to make the NCAA tournament, but let's play along. I think you have to win Tuesday. That is an absolute must win to keep any small flame that's alive alive. Now, I would argue that if the NCAA tournament is no longer a realistic expectation, what I don't think they'll do, but what I think they should do is start planning for next season start playing the young guys start giving Jamichael davis and gavin griffiths 25 30 minutes a night start trying out antoine wolfolk in different positions in more minutes start giving players essentially a tryout for who are the guys we can trust to be reliable parts of the rotation next year when we do bring in this fab five class and figure out what holes we have to plug do we have to get a transfer center do we have to get another shooter do we have to uh you know like plan for a muat mag is he going to stay is he going to go like you have to figure out the roster for next season if you're going to be punting on this season because i think Rutgers is at a point as a program where the ncaa tournament should be the goal and if you're not going to reach that goal it doesn't really matter if you finish eighth or 12th in the big 10 right i i I just that that's the way i see it
0: Pat, i'm already there i'm already there right i want to see those. i want to see those players now like i don't need you don't need to punt,
2: right? It's, exactly. Have,
0: the ball's already left my foot. Adam korsak's coming to the game for me. I mean, I, think, I, just, I mean, honestly, I just, I, I'm kind of ready. I was focusing on next season in November, so I guess, I guess, I'm kind of ready for, for that to happen.
2: I, I would say, uh, like, like we just said, let's get through this next important stretch. I think it's really important, and there's there's potential there. But I, I think you you do need to absolutely see the makeup for next year uh, and a little, you got to see Gavin Griffith turn it on. I mean, it's inexcusable the way he's playing and uh, you know, you got to, you got to see some, some silver linings again. So I think, I think you could get a little bit of both.
1: Gavin Griffith's played nine minutes against Iowa, nine minutes. Yeah. The four star freshman. That's, that's not enough. I think that no matter what the goal is, he should be playing more again, just to one, get him experience, two let him kind of get out of this funk um, the only rebuttal I'll give to you, Steve, is that I think Steve Peichel in his public comments has made it very clear they don't want to look forward to next season yet. They do want to focus on this season. Part of that, I'm sure, is some loyalty to the older guys like Andre Hyatt, Cliff Omori, who could come back, but probably he's not coming back, Austin Williams, Noah Fernandes, guys who this is their last season. And I think exactly. there is some part of Peichel who wants, feels like he owes them his all for this season and not for next year. So that's why I think as much as we all agree that this year is done and you should punt on it. I do think that internally they feel there's still a lot to play for. He wants to give those guys a chance to pull off a miracle that they keep believing in 21-22. They still think it's possible. Who am I to say to them they should give up? Absolutely.
0: All right. Let's talk about some good basketball because we did see some good basketball. Just a special night at the, at the rack uh, on Friday, Caitlin Clark and Iowa coming in. And Pat and I were there, and I gotta tell you the two there are two observations that really struck me about the rack crowd, Pat. And I know we we talked about it a little bit, but just sitting there when Iowa has up forty one points and there's like six minutes to go in the game, and you look around and every seat is still filled. I was like, Wow, that this that <laughs> Caitlin Clark is that big of an attraction, that no one's gonna go home. And maybe it's because the Iowa fans didn't understand what the rack traffic looks like, but whatever it might be, that was that was really cool. And then this, the noise in the building that got me was just, it was just like a higher pitched kind of noise in the rack, the anticipation every time she got her hands on the ball. uh, It was really cool.
2: I I totally agree. I I thought it was one of the better things I've ever covered. I I thought like you could feel the excitement. Uh, It was like a feel good story. And even Caitlin Clark in her post game comments said that that was like the most, amount of young girls that she can remember crowd in a really long time, which I thought was like fantastic because you had all these girls coming from New York City and Pennsylvania. We interviewed a few from and all over New Jersey to to come out and be inspired by her. And I thought it was just exactly the type of thing we expected coming in that Caitlin Clark was going to put on a show. The crowd was going to be very into it and I thought when she did that like victory lap at the end of the game and got a standing ovation and then was signing autographs. It was it was special. Uh, I think that's the only way to really put it.
0: Just think about how much pressure is on her shoulders to perform in all these games. And then she doesn't she doesn't shoot well to start. She picks up an offensive foul and like waves dismissively at the ref. And I thought she was going to get teed up, which would have been pretty interesting. But she still finishes twenty nine, ten and ten stays into the game and, 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 you know, stays with the fans, signs autographs, high fives. It was like a, it was like a Taylor Swift concert with the people like trying to get a glimpse of her, trying to touch her hands. I mean, this is the stuff that was happening. You're like and Dave Jones, from, who covers Penn State for, for Penn Live, or at least he will for another few months, made the observation that she is the most famous athlete in college sports right now. I, I don't think you can argue otherwise. I think she totally is.
2: It's so funny you you say that because for the last three days, ever since I tweeted out my Caitlin Clark story, all I've gotten is just a back and forth thread in my d in my in my notifications about her versus Angel Reese and who's better. And like, it's oh great, my God, it's incredible. Yeah. Like, I'm not even joking. Over 200 replies of just well, ain't, okay, the line is this long for Caitlin Clark, but have you seen it for Angel Reese? And I think it's so exciting for the game, and it's it's terrific. So. It's almost like uh, baseball's version of like Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa for the home run race, right? Like two players just absolutely bringing a whole nother level to the game. It's fascinating, right? And
0: it was it was enough that we could ignore the fact that uh, the Scarlet Knights were kind of the Washington Generals of this show. Like I didn't, I didn't. I mean, it was really. Uh, it's not a good, not a good team this year for Keith Washington. I don't think people expected it to be good. Uh, it's understandable. I guess she had some really good news though, Brian, with, with in the recruiting, um, in, you know, the day after got a five-star recruit, um, it's going to be more than just one player to turn this thing around. Obviously I'm always impressed when I'm around her. Like, I think she's, she's really just like, just comes across like a leader, uh, gives great answers at press conferences. It's funny. Uh, engaging like I I don't know I can see why Pat Hobbs hired her and I I, if you're a Rutgers fan I wouldn't give up on her yet I guess is what I'm saying
1: yeah it's way too early for that she obviously had a huge rebuild in front of her and I think she's doing a good enough job right I don't think she's necessarily behind on what you think and obviously the next step on that is landing Um, Kiomi McMiller a uh, she's a five-star guard 22nd ranked player in her class in the ESPN rankings which are pretty much authoritative i would say because there's no 247 or rivals or anything right. uh, no equivalent of that she plays at life center academy in burlington um now again the expectations should be kind of tempered here because she's a gavin griffiths level player as far as like a top 25 player and not a caitlin clark who was number four in her class and the talent level is just you could obviously see where like i was watching some of the game and she's making uh in transition a bounce pass like threading the needle, super impressive. Like that is a level of talent that it's not what Kiyomi McMiller is, not to downplay what she is, huge accomplishment for Koki's Washington and company. Just want to kind of temper the expectations there. Of course. But to your point- I've always found Kukui's very engaging, very, I'm always, I always have a good time when I interview her and talk to her. She's making jokes about making her daughter walk home because she's a Caitlin yeah. Clark fan and she came to watch. And she jokes about how men are finally coming around to realizing how valuable the woman's game is. Like she's making fun, lighthearted jokes after a pretty crushing loss, right? Like it wouldn't, it's a lot of coaches would be pretty sheltered after getting shellacked by 40 points. She was very fun and obviously understood the importance of it. So um, yeah, look, the program I think is in, good hands. I think you made an interesting point in your column of just like what Rutgers had for Caitlin Clark is what Rutgers used to have for itself as a team in the heyday of the C. Vivian Stringer era. I'm not sure how close they are to bringing that back. Like, I think they're still a ways away, but I think there is potential in the program to return there if they can get players like Xiaomi McMiller, if they can continue developing, and if Colquise Washington can kind of... This is a coach that won the Big Ten three years in a row with Penn State. Like, she can coach I think she has a chance of bringing it back there. I just don't know how long it'll take.
0: It's a long ways, obviously. Um, and the fact that you had both Teresa Grants and C. Vivian Stringer at that game to watch this was sort of fascinating, tying the whole thing together. But yeah, and it's a reminder. And I, I come back to like people, you know, this is you, This is why you kind of invest in the women's game now because there is there is potential for growth there. You know, and I, it doesn't make money. It hasn't made money in the past, but... I mean, I think you see the TV contract, you see the trends in this thing, and you saw – in fact, you made a great – you wrote a great story about it. You saw the young girls in that gym. I and mean, you can just get a fraction of them to say, you know what? This is my team now. It's not Kaelin and it's not Iowa. It's right here.
2: It's in New Jersey. It's Rutgers. 100%, right? Like, all those young girls were wearing Iowa jerseys, but 15 years ago they were wearing Rutgers jerseys, right, when they were in the Final Four and they were an aspiring team. Uh, especially if you want to even like for inner city girls in New Jersey, how inspiring it was to have, you know, to see players at Rutgers like them. And and it was, it was tr- just a terrific run. So yeah, I, I totally agree. There's a lot of growth there and, and,
1: potential i am curious i wasn't in the building i want to get a take from you guys the when it got really loud in that building like how close was it to you know a men's basketball those really exciting environments where the roof feels like it's going to explode like how was the environment
0: Pat, what do you think i mean i don't think it was Purdue shot f-court shot loud but it was no
2: i don't i don't think it ever got to that because the game was so wildly not close right like there were no it was it wasn't it didn't have that uh like oh my God, I can't hear myself think, but it had that like Taylor Swift <laughs> kind of like ah star yes. star power right it was it was not uh not explosive but very loud uh yeah. in a different and, way
0: and Pat mentioned it the the Andy Mills are are great photographer, took a shot of her at the end trying to leave the court and just the mob scene around her. I have not seen that. I and mean, that was something else, just seeing everyone trying to get close to her take a selfie, and then I'm driving. I'm leaving. It's an hour after the game, and there's there's 100 people around the Iowa bus out, outside in the, in the cold, like, waiting for one more glimpse. Like, they needed, they needed the Rutgers cops out there to just get her to the bus. It's like, all right, again, something else I hadn't seen before. I just – yeah, so – there was a lot there were a lot of cool things, uh, cool things going on Friday night at the rack.
1: One thing about Caitlin Clark, uh, and this story I'm almost certain is true. I believe the person who told me this story, but now there's having second thoughts, so I am too. But I'm gonna tell it anyway. Uh, I live across the street from Dunkin Donuts on George Street here in New Brunswick, which is about a block away from the Heldrick, where a lot of visiting teams and recruits and players come uh, when they play Rutgers. It's uh, the day before Rutgers plays Iowa. My roommate goes to get his morning donuts and coffee, and he's in line. And then a group of tall young women in Iowa Hawkeyes gear pull into the Dunkin Donuts and in line behind him. My roommate is not a sports person at all. He does not watch a lot of sports. But he was very in tune with the NCAA tournament last year, the Caitlin Clark, Angel Reese. That this is to show the the breadth of how big that got and how much the women's game expanded because of that. So he's familiar with Caitlin Clark, big Caitlin Clark fan. And he turns around and he's like, "Oh my God, is this is this Caitlin Clark behind me in line?" He thinks to himself, and then he says it out loud, "Are you are you Caitlin Clark?" And she lowers her hoodie below her head and she says, "No, I wish I was." And uh, he kind of sheepishly goes to the counter, gets his donuts and goes home and tells me this story. And I do a lot of the calculus, like, is this possible? And I'm like, no, she wouldn't do this. No, I mean, it's Caitlin Clark. But then you guys tell me about how her she's getting mobbed at games and mobbed on the bus. I imagine she gets mobbed in Iowa City every time she gets a coffee. And I think maybe she could do for one day in a random Big Ten city without having to take a selfie at Dunkin' Donuts. So I believe it was Caitlin Clark, and I think it's hilarious. It's infinitely better to have that story than to have a selfie with her, I would say.
0: Bad job by your roommate. That That's my response to the story. Bad job. Bad job by you. Come on. How many, how many six foot tall? There's only like 1% of women are six feet tall. If you can't identify Caitlin Clark at this point, you have to know if it's her or not. Come on, Pat. She incognito. She was incognito. incognito. How incognito is she going? Is she like wearing the, you know. she, she Pulled her hoodie her, over her eyes, dude. hoodie over. Okay.
1: She was wearing hoodie. Iowa gear. But the it, the issue is we were having the height thing, right? So she's apparently six feet tall, which is probably 5'10". If we're like doing the SID calculus, because they always make everyone taller than they actually are. And he says she was hunched over. So we don't know how many inches she was hunched over. And to, like Pat said, her hoodie was down. And there's also, again, the, the the shock value of like, did I just get big time by Caitlin Clark or was I, is, was this actually a genuine identity crisis mistake on my part? Listen, I wasn't there. I'd like to think I would identify her, but who knows, right? Who knows? I, I'm just glad my roommate didn't go to the corner and take a creepy photo to have evidence of this. I think it's better if it's just an audio story and uh, I'm the only one in this apartment that does things like that.
0: <laughs> You're the only one taking creepy photos of minors. Yes. Great tie in. <laughs> Oh, I love it. That is hilarious. Good job tying that all in. Makes me happy. Experience the Heldridge Hotel, a luxury hotel that's perfect for both the business and leisure traveler. Ideally located within minutes of Rutgers University, the Heldridge is convenient to all the action and activities at SHI Stadium, Jersey Mike's Arena, and the Rutgers University campus. The moment you walk through the doors of the Heldridge Hotel and Conference Center, you know you're someplace different. A place with an independent spirit and a boutique vibe. A place where you can immerse yourself in your meeting or event as easily as you can the local culture. Located in the heart of the city, The Heldridge lets you experience all that New Brunswick has to offer. Whether you're coming to New Brunswick for a fun weekend with friends, in town for a Scarlet Nights game, or attending a business meeting, book your accommodations today at theheldridge.com. All right. True or false? Let's do a couple. I only got a couple of true or false that I have. didn't do a good job writing the script here. But all right. Here we go. First one. True or false? We were too optimistic when we put the over-under on eight Big Ten wins for the men's basketball team. That was our debate
1: last week on this podcast. It was eight too high. Brian, what do you got? I'll say false only because they have five quad three games left, and I got to think they'll win at least four of them, maybe three of them, and then you cobble some more. I'll say false, but with every passing game, I'm starting to think true. I'll go with false for now.
2: Pat? I'll agree with Brian. Yeah, uh, We'll go false. We'll go false. Still a lot to play.
0: Yeah, I probably false, but I'm, I'm still going under on the eight. so let's stay there. All right, true or false, Malcolm Ray, the big news out of the transfer portal from Florida State, will not only fill Isaiah Leighton's role on the defensive line, he will be an improvement. Pat, did Rutgers upgrade in the transfer portal? True or false?
2: Yeah, he had a great season from Florida State. Uh, if you look at the stats, like a bunch of tackles for loss, a lot of pressure. He was an impact player for one of the best teams in college football. you got to think that he's going to be a big upgrade at a position that Rutgers really needed to fill. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, definitely an improvement for sure. The other guy that he's also replacing, it's also important to keep in mind that Mayan Ahanatu was a right. very important piece in the middle of that Rutgers defense. So getting this guy is is huge to fill both those roles.
1: Brian. Ryan? absolutely true this was a rotational guy at a team that should have made the college football playoff not to rehash that discussion and Florida State wanted him back as a rotational guy but I think he thinks he wants to be a starter and I mean all the power to him he took an official visit to NC State before Rutgers and I think at Rutgers he saw one the opportunity for playing time with those two guys graduating and moving on and two the success they've had with Transferred defensive lineman from Ahana to to if mm-hmm. to Ifan Uh and I think he could, feels he could be the next guy. He was very excited to commit to Rutgers. He was uh, at dinner on Saturday night. The plan was for him to announce on Sunday morning, but on Saturday night at eight thirty seven, he tweets out the video and shows coaches, "Hey coach, look what I just did." And so I guess the cat was out of the bag, and uh, he committed late Saturday night.
0: Yeah, this is a great, the great sign for Greg Shannon. I think it's as simple as uh, Greg being able to say, "Do you want to play fifteen snaps there or fifty snaps here?" And that's what they did. And they got a guy that could sell him on playing time. Uh, and uh, yeah, I think it is an improvement. He was he was really good at Forest State. So that defense just keeps on getting better. All right, true or false, Corey Heatherman's loss is a huge blow to this defense. Some bad news.
2: Pat? Yeah, huge blow. Uh, he's, he's a very successful coach. He right-hand guys with Joe Harrison, yeah, the defensive coordinator. So I think uh, Rutgers, a lot of its success the last, you know, or even this year, with its defense was its ability to retain all of its coaches Obviously, losing Heatherman is going to hurt. They're going to have to find a good replacement for him. Brian?
1: Absolutely. Huge loss. Uh, He's proved his worth as a defensive coordinator at the lower level at James Madison. His first year as linebackers coach here, we worried incessantly all offseason about the thin group at linebacker, the inexperience at linebacker. And he made that one of their better defensive groups, and they got even better his second year. He made Deion Jennings a really good linebacker. He has Tyreen Powell. At, at almost an NFL level that he probably would have gone to the draft had he not hurt his hand, right? Like he's done a great job with that position group. And I think it, he was at a crossroads where his contract was ending in February. So he was either going to renew it here at Rutgers or go somewhere else. James Madison was a possibility. There was thought that maybe if Joe Harris Harasimiak took the head coaching job there, he could join him for the DC job. Obviously Rutgers kept Joe Harasimiak, but Heatherman goes to Minnesota where PJ Fleck, Gets a hit in the war. PJ <laughs> Fleck fights back against Rutgers. He said, You might take my quarterback, my defensive line coach, my offensive coordinator, my defensive coordinator, uh my offensive line in Curtis Dunlap, my defensive lineman in hanatu but gosh darn it, I will take your linebacker coach and make him my DC. Point one, PJ Fleck. There you go. About 12 points for Greg <laughs> I'm
0: going to go. uh uh, it is a blow, but I don't know if it's a huge blow. You you want your assistants to to move up to to do higher jobs, so I'm going to go false right now for that one. But still, yeah, I mean, now you, Greg's going to hire someone new, so let's see who he brings in. Uh, all right, couple more uh, true or false. Washington is going to recruit the Rutgers women out of this hole. Talked a little bit about it. She
2: also had a four star in the fall. I mean, it's a big hole though. Pat it is 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 that doable? True or false? I go back to that Purdue game they played right before the Iowa game. They were. Mm-hmm you know, lost a really a heartbreaker to a really good team. And I, I think you're seeing signs that the program just needs to take, and it's going to take some time getting destiny Adams. That transfer was huge too. I think uh, she's got a good grasp of the New Jersey scene and that that's always a plus. So I, I, I have faith. I think she will.
1: True. Brian. Yeah, I think true. I think um, there's a lot of room to grow. Again, I don't know if she'll bring it back to Final Four-level good that it was at its peak under Vivian, but I think she has a chance of making this a good, solid Big Ten program at worst. So I'll say true.
0: Yeah, true. Let's see it get to the uh, middle of the pack in the Big Ten first. That would be the first step, although it is interesting that adding uh, they're adding UCLA, USC, some really good teams from in the, in the Pac-10 in women's mm-hmm. basketball to make it even harder. All right, finally, True or False Wrestling will have its best Big Ten season. Wow. Pulled that one out of my butt, slapped it in a true or false. Pat, you're the only one who can answer this
2: within the authority. Is that a true statement? They have the opportunity to pull off their most significant Big Ten win, which would be over uh, Minnesota or Ohio State, which is coming off a really big win. So if Rutgers, they're in a great position with a really good dual meet lineup, if they can beat either one of those teams, I think you throw out whatever the record is. That's a significant step forward in the Big Ten. Obviously, they've never beaten either of those teams. Uh, It would be a huge deal. I think they're in position to do it. I think those are going to be two really must-see matches uh, at the end of January, early February. So there's definitely an opportunity. And I think this is their best dual-meet team of the Big Ten era. So I, I uh, I think it's true. Now, they beat
0: up on Ryder, but their best wrestler lost. Is that the upset I'm talking about? Is that what happened?
2: You're, yes uh yes kind of a surprise their highest, ranked, their highest ranked wrestler dean peterson who was a little dinged up came back against Ryder and got upset uh was a big a big blow for peterson who was ranked number two in the country at his mm-hmm. weight class uh that was a shocking upset but i think the upset that you were referring to was positive for Rutgers. it was that michael cheta he's their 149 pounder he's not a backup per se he's he's right in the role at 149 and he upset uh, a really good guy from university of pennsylvania which lifted Rutgers to a big win over penn so you're you're on you're on you got That's to, exactly what uh, i was right? referring and to how uh, did you
0: know what i was talking
2: about yeah so uh cool. yeah it was a interesting weekend for wrestling and they got a, a a nice duel on friday against indiana which they they should be pretty favored in
0: all right. I'll leave. I'll let Brian off the hook for answering that question. All right. Good job. True or false? Is over. Let's move on to some comments from uh, questions from Insider because uh, Rutgers Insider, we got a bunch of them and they're all good this week, too. So good stuff. All right. First one. And I love this one. Who do you think Rutgers is missing more this year? Paul McCahey, Cam Spencer, or Caleb McConnell? And it's great that we haven't talked about Caleb McConnell on this equation, but they're missing him, too. Brian, you only can pick one. Which Which one?
1: Who? This is very difficult because the right answer is all three. Yeah. I'll go Cam Spencer only because they need a guy who could create offense. And I know Cam Spencer isn't a dynamic guy who's going to dribble to the rim and finish, but he's shooting 40% on threes, which is astronomically better than anyone they have. Um, so I'll I'll go Cam Spencer, but really you can't go wrong with any of these three guys. Pat,
0: can you make a case for one of the other guys?
2: Who yeah. Think? I, I, I think when you look at Rutgers and what's lacking the most, you think about their identity in the defense they've lost their most their best defender i I think to me like when they lost caleb mcconnell uh they lost a big piece of like the guy that held that defensive identity together so i'm gonna say caleb
0: yeah you're 18 at six seven rebounds a game defended the best player it's a good point um it's great though and i mean that i was gonna i was gonna say i'm okay before we started this equation simply because of the glue guy, the spirit, the energy, the point guard, the dish. You know, and I think by don't think Glyph is the same player without him. I think that's just something that uh, it's just been missing. Yeah. So uh, all three of us came up with a pretty compelling answer for each one of those guys, which is, uh, tells you something right there. All right. Got this question a lot from different people. I'll use Brian case because I think he phrased it really well. How do you think this current basketball team feels about being one and done? Uh, how do you think it feels about the whispers of a weaker team and only being at Rutgers for one year with the Fab Five coming in? Is that affecting this team? Uh, that's one of them. Is it a wait until next year mentality from the fan base affecting this team? Or are they just as bad, a little bit of both? A lot of questions wondering if all of the stuff, I mean, we I mean, we banged the drum bigger than anybody in December, you know, about, about Dylan Harper, about Ace Bailey. Do you think, Brian, that that stuff is seeping into the locker room?
1: Absolutely, without a doubt. I think it's very clear the way that Steve Peichel pushes back every time we ask him about next year, Ace Bailey, Dylan Harper, the 24-25 season, he's always saying, I'm worried about this team. And I think he feels that. I think these guys are on social media as much as they don't want to be. Uh, Derek Simpson said Twitter is a toxic place after his game winner against Stonehill. He said he'd stay off Twitter because it's toxic. And I think they see that everyone is talking about Ace Bailey and Dylan Harper. He sees we're writing about them. He sees other people are talking about them. He sees fans talking about it. That's got a way on them mentally. And it's got a way on guys that are here for the one year. As I mentioned before, the Andre Hyatt's, the Noah Fernandes, the Austin Williams who can't play with those guys that's worth nothing to them. And I think they want to try to disprove the narrative, but every time they lose, the more people are going to start looking forward to next year and it kind of snowballs from there. So to answer the question, yes, I think it does impact them. I don't know how much it impacts how poorly they're playing, but I certainly think it plays a role. I agree with you totally.
0: Yeah, I don't think it's just, if it wasn't, if it didn't get into your head a little bit, uh, you're not human because you hear it and you see it, you know what's happening. And and Dylan Harper sitting courtside most games. So that, that certainly plays into it. All right, some more Cliff questions. we got a bunch of them. Uh, Jack F. in Bernersville want to know why they aren't lobbying until <laughs> more and more for dunks. Why is he being blocked out for rebounds? Uh, he'll never, at this rate, he'll never make it in the NBA. Then this one we got too. Is it a false observation? But te- Does this team seem to play better when Cliff isn't on the floor? Brian, why do you take that one too, since you've, you've, studied, this, uh, you've studied this closer than me and Pat. What, what do you think?
1: So I looked at the numbers on. Hoop Explorer, which lets you look at on and off stats in college basketball, how a team does with the player on, how he does when they're off. They are slightly better with him offensively on the floor and slightly worse with him on the floor defensively. I would say there's no strong feeling either way. I think, again, the issue with Cliff is that he's best at dunking. You dunk when there's no one at the rim guarding the rim. There are too many people at the rim guarding it because none of his teammates can create space for him by shooting and He suffers from that. And to the point about him making the NBA, he won't make it at this rate. Truthfully, frankly, I don't think he was making the NBA at any rate. I think that was kind of a pipe dream. And I don't blame Cliff for believing it. But I think the reality is that he's a very limited player whose defense is pretty good. He's a big reason they're one of the best two point defenses in the country. But his offense is obviously very limited. And I just don't see a place for him in the NBA. And that's the truth. And I, I don't enjoy saying it, but I just think that's that's the truth, and it's hard to dispute.
0: And there's, it Just as a follow-up, someone asked about whether he'd be back next year. I don't know that that's the answer either. It feels like Cliff needs to move on or is going to move on. I thought that before the season, and it's still going to be the case at the end of the season. But, yeah, it's interesting that uh, you say they're worse defensively when he's on the floor, slightly worse defensively?
1: I so they, they are slightly worse defensively with him on the floor by two points per 100 possessions. Okay. Right, so very slightly. Yeah, very slightly. It's it's not, it does not make a major difference either way. Per this data, which is all the games, the high major games, the low major games, everything right. in between, the first fifteen or fourteen games of the season. Um, Pat, what's
0: your instinct tell you? Would if you if you were the if you the coach now, would you be leaning in on a Cliff because this is I mean this he's a star, he's the guy who brought you here. We're gonna get him twelve shots if it kills us in the next game, yeah. or are you starting to are you starting to move in the other direction?
2: No, oh, I, I go all in on Cliff, and I think he needs a – sometimes you really just need, like, a wake-up call in all aspects of life. I think they're at that point with Cliff, right? Like, mm-hmm. it should be his team. Everyone said it in the beginning of the season. He's the veteran guy. Like, they need him. And it's – I also think when you, when you watch this team, the first play of every game is scripted for Cliff to get a dunk, that that's important – from a mental aspect too, like they want to get, they want to see this guy succeed because I think the team succeeds when he succeeds. So I, I don't, I, I think you actually have to double down and, and get this guy going. Uh,
0: I agree. All right. Question about Jeremiah Williams, Brian, is the NCAA going to give Jeremiah Williams the same Brantley treatment a reference to the receiver on the football team who uh, just never, <laughs> just never heard anything back. Like, don't call us, we'll call you, NCAA. Um, with so much riding on next season, his veteran presence and size
1: is needed. Do we have any idea? Do they have any idea what's going on with him? Okay, so Jeremiah Williams was almost never going to play the season because he has facing trouble on two fronts. The two-time transfer front is pretty much resolved because mm-hmm. of a lawsuit in West Virginia that essentially made it that the NCAA is letting all players in winter sports that are two-time transfers play immediately without any trouble right? So if Jeremiah Williams was a standard two-time transfer, he would be playing right now. The issue is he also has a gambling situation hanging over his head that the NCAA has not ruled on. The current guidelines and expectations would be that he would be punished for half a season. He cannot be punished for half a season until there is a ruling from the NCAA. Now that there is a thought that maybe he gets punished with time served as though he already served his half season, um, I'm not sure how that would calculate because he technically would only be eligible starting the f- last week of December, whenever that ruling in West Virginia was. The, the The feeling I have is that Jeremiah Williams would be eligible to start the 2024-25 season, which is a significant improvement from what it looked like two months ago, where he'd have to serve a half-season suspension for that gambling thing. So he will be able to serve that half-season suspension in the back half of this season and be ready to play the beginning of next season. That's my thought. That's my understanding. That's my educated guess. Uh, we should hopefully have some clarity soon. But it's the NCAA. Nassim yeah. Brantley might live forty more years before he finds out what the NCAA <laughs> decides. So I'm not banking on it. But if I had to guess, I believe Jeremiah Williams will be a starting guard for Rutgers in the first game of the 24-25 season.
0: You, you should sign. For, you would sign for that if you're Rutgers. You could then you get let your Michael Davis play some this year to see what he's got. Uh, Derek Simpson, too. Yeah, I, I think that's probably where this is headed. You're absolutely right.
1: And I just uh, want to say, people already pointed to Jeremiah Williams as the savior of the season if he was coming back. Jeremiah Williams is not going to be the reason Rutgers doesn't fall into a 17-point first-half deficit at Ohio State or a 16-point first-half deficit at Iowa or the other horrible starts they've gotten off to or any of the other issues. Like, Jeremiah Williams is a talented player. He'd arguably be their best player if he was playing right now, but I just don't want fans to start thinking what if He's not that good, okay? Just setting expectations here.
0: All right. Lots of NIL questions this week. Um, how does Pitt afford a quarterback transfer from the SEC, number nine in the class of 23? We can only get a modest upgrade. That's the negative side of it. Um, the other positive side is we've heard that Rutgers NIL game is be- behind its peers, yet the three transfer portal commits seem to be pretty good, question mark. No. This is a fascinating dynamic about it that it that we've never said that Rutgers has no NAL money. Like it, this seems like every time this comes up, it's like, "Wow, you said they couldn't get players because NAL. No, we they have money. They just don't have." A high level of money, and it was never realistic to the to, to, to get them to get a transfer portal quarterback like uh, like McCord and some some of the others that we talked about. How does Pitt do it? I, I don't know. That's a great question. I mean, that, you guys have any information on how Syracuse and how Pitt and some of the other place other places
1: are doing this? The quarterback situations are a little different in Pittsburgh and Rutgers. Pittsburgh went through two quarterbacks last year and very clearly needed a quarterback. They had no returning starter. They had a, a lot of playing time available. I don't right. know about their NIL situation, but that's a huge benefit because Rutgers had a returning starter. To the NIL bit, Rutgers got good transfers at key positions. Totally agree. Objectively, let's look at this situation. The quarterback they got was a starter from a 5-7 and seven Big Ten West team that had no guarantee of keeping his starting spot, which is part of the reason he transferred. Uh, the defensive tackle they got was a rotation player, on, albeit a very good team, but was not going to start for them next year. The wide receiver they got was the best wide receiver in his league, in his level, yes, but he's an FCS wide receiver. And my point is, like, they're not getting these high, high-level players that a good NIL program would have. Like, Ole Miss's is starting running back, the best running back in the SEC. Could have come back to the SEC West favorite if he went back to Ole Miss. Instead, he's entering the portal to get a huge payday somewhere else. Like, the Rutgers is, that's, the Rutgers is never going to get to that level, but my point is, like, there's a whole other level to this thing that Rutgers is not at Rutgers and level is good enough that they will get, you know, good, solid transfers, but not players that are going to elevate the program from where they are now to the next level.
0: That's a great way of looking at it. Absolutely. And and to think that it's not a problem. I think you're kidding yourselves. If you just don't, I mean, again, it's not like we're talking about this. We're just, Ooh, we're just assuming it's a problem. We're talking to people who are telling us it's a problem, right? Like Keith Sargent interviewed, 20 people for that story and heard the same thing from 20 different people. So let's just keep that in mind that if they get if they have some success. And yeah, I mean, that was, that was a really good one with Malcolm Ray. Um, it doesn't mean that the problem is solved. So I agree with that totally. And here's one about the uh, Pat Flaherty that fills into what our second job today was the giants fired their offensive line coach. Any chance they go after and get Pat Flaherty re- to return Jeff and Essex Fells wants to know. We were there um, at Giants Camp today. It was a big story for them to, to move on from Bobby Johnson, offensive line coach. I think long overdue. You know, that's just been an enormous problem. We know Pat Farrell is good as his job. Uh, does Rutgers have to worry about him going back to
2: the NFL? I think uh it's always a possibility, no question. He had such great success at Rutgers this season. When Shiano talked about it, it, it seemed like it was just more of like where he's at in his career with his family and that made it a good fit at Rutgers. Maybe the stress and commitment level of an NFL coaching job, maybe too much for Flaherty at this point in his career. But yeah, you gotta, if you connect the dots, it's definitely a concern a little bit. Rutgers obviously would love to keep him because he did such a fantastic job. But I would say there's a chance. There's definitely a chance.
0: Yeah, no, I don't think it's a great chance, but there's a chance, of course. Yeah, and I, I get the sense that had at this stage of his life might might like where he's at. But um yeah, college is hard too. So who knows? All right. Two more funny ones I thought are two good ones, different a little off the beaten path. Someone wanted to know loss versus win. General question what percentage of listeners, readers don't listen read after a loss? That's really interesting. And I certainly think historically looking at my own now we can see web web traffic when people read that people are much more engaged after win when the team's doing well. Uh, that said, <laughs> if it's a stand there, rubbernecking situation when you're gawking at, oh my God, did they really lose like 78 nothing? People read that. People want to know what happened and big losses like that. But I don't know. What do you guys find? You find there's more people are more engaged when the team's doing well?
1: They were pretty engaged during the football season this year, I'd say. A recent example with basketball, when they almost lost to Stonehill, that story did pretty well. When they lost convincingly to Ohio State, that story did not do so well. So I think I agree with you, the extremes. When they win or when they lose really badly, it does really well. If it's a ho-hum game, either direction doesn't really do well. Um, To bounce back to what we mentioned, the previous question, just really quickly. I just looked up Pat Flaherty's contract. If he leaves Mm -hmm. for an NFL job, he will not have to pay a buyout. Oh, okay. So he'd go for free. I don't think it's going to happen, but just so you guys know, if it happens in the future, he'd be going for nothing.
0: Look at you. No, good to know. Contracts at your fingertips. Uh, All right, good answer on that. Uh, Final question. Basketball is me down a bit, says CJ and Basking Ridge. So let's change the subject. What's your New Year's resolution? Oh, I like this. I like it. My New Year's resolution. Stay off Twitter. Whoops. I broke it already. Um, What do you guys got? Got anything good, uh, Pat? Come on, what you must
2: have something. Go go to Brian. I got to think about it. <laughs> Brian, you got nothing? New Year's resolution?
0: Uh, not really. You guys aren't old enough for New Year's resolutions. Is that what it is? Or is this a general? This like a Zoomer Boomer thing that only people my age have to like vow not to- vow to get on the get on the Peloton more than uh, once a month and um, try not to drink themselves to sleep five days a week. Is that is that what you're telling me? You guys don't have these. You don't guys have to do
1: these same things. Come on. I just think I have a disillusion with the resolution. I just don't really, I know it's not going to work. Like it doesn't turn January 1st and suddenly I'm a different person, right? Like I also didn't have much time to think about it to be honest with you. Um, I don't know, lose some weight. I've been getting a little fat from this job making me stressed and working a lot. I don't know.
0: That should be your resolution is to to work less. I'm going to give you a resolution. Take some time for yourself, man. Put that down, write that down and put it, hang it on the wall. Politi says my resolution is... Take some time. And then you can point this out to me when I text you at 1030. Hey, you see that tweet about the... Pat, you got anything or no?
2: Uh, I think that's uh, a good one because I've (laughs) uh, definitely... Yesterday I was at at my own baby shower. I'm having a baby in a month. I don't know if the podcast world has known this. Either way, uh, Brian texted me about the long snapper commit. He said... Ah yeah, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So so that's a little funny tidbit right there for you guys. But you're uh,
0: are you saying to me that your baby shower is more important than Rutgers landing? A long snapper out of the portal. Is that what you're trying to tell this 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 audience right here?
2: Is that what you're saying? I just Come think the dichotomy between the B reporters that should be known uh, for the public, <laughs> if it's not already obvious enough.
1: I'm just saying I saw he spent a two-year mission in Zimbabwe, and I just felt that Pat had to know. He's fluent in all three local languages. Like, I was like, and honestly- that's right? Really? Yes. He's fluent in three Zimbabwe languages? Wait, come come back again. According to his BYU biography, and according to the story I wrote, that apparently you didn't read, Steve.
0: No, didn't read it. Didn't didn't.
1: (laughs) You cared so much (laughs) about this BYU law law... snapper that you didn't even read it. (laughs) Um, it. So, uh, full transparency, Pat had mentioned the baby shower earlier in the week. I completely forgot. I saw the kid committed. I texted Pat. He says he's at a baby shower. And I felt so bad. I wanted to crawl into a hole in the floor that I'm like, what, what, what am I doing, dude? Like this poor guy is having a Sunday off. He's at a baby shower, an important moment in his life. And I'm out here bothering him with a oh, text about some kid in BYU who went to high school in Idaho. Like, who cares, dude? Screw, screw that baby shower. Oh,
0: look. Oh, another diaper pal Oh, thank you, man, Tilda. Oh. So lovely, another onesie. It's a cute one with little cars on it. Dinosaurs. Dinosaurs. Oh, it's a boy. So that's right. You're getting dinosaur onesies now. Wait, so again, you didn't answer my question. The the, the new long snapper speaks three Zimbabwean languages. I I don't I'm just you're I'm confusing that's baby shower with. The longest no, in Zimbabwe. I'm just, pet's
1: pets soon-to-be-born child speaks all three Zimbabwe languages. <laughs> okay, they play. Uh, they play the Duolingo into his wife's stomach at night. Well, Candace did go. Candace did go to Princeton, so I'm not. I'm not surprised by this at all. This is totally so. Cool. His this is his bio. Missionary okay. service served a full-time mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints mm-hmm. in Bulawayo, Zimbabwe, from 2018 to 2020. He's mm-hmm. fluent in Deble, Shosa, and Sona. Okay. I looked all three of those up. Those are native languages. They're not just made up things on the Pyu bio. Look,
0: I'm not telling you how to do your job, but somebody should write a story about this. This is very
1: interesting to me. Thank you. I'm sure our editor will love that we're going to go to him with the pitch. Hey, boss, I got a great story. (laughs) Oh, who's it about? Well, it's about the new long snapper. But the the long snapper speaks three Zimbabwean languages. I think that's no, that's good. I think I I predict
0: that he. We can come back to this. I predict he will be all in on that. Absolutely, good story.
2: I love it. I think it's fantastic. I'm calling dibs now.
0: Calling dibs. All right. On that note, anything else? Brian and I will be at the rack to watch Rutgers, Indiana. Hopefully a win that will make it a little easier to talk about this stuff uh, next week's podcast. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Rutgers Rant. To participate in the conversation and receive live updates about the Scarlet Knights directly to your phone, sign up at nj.com slash insider.